Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to Cheaper Than Therapy. We are so excited to bring today's episode to you. Um, This is a very dear friend of mine, Lauren Wiseman, who is the founder of Mama Method. And we'll get into what she does with Mama Method, the way she supports mothers, um, you know, during their pregnancy journey, postpartum. But, you know, I've feel like my friend Lauren is someone who is so wise that I have always sort of gone to for sage advice for as long as I've known her. But as much as I thought as soon as V and I decided to do a podcast that I wanted her to be on, I especially wanted to talk to her after you had a baby, Vanessa. I knew the two of you would just love each other. I knew that you would connect so much and I knew that she would have some really um, useful input in terms of where you are in this motherhood journey that you're on. Yeah. And I can't help but feel like a little bit that this episode was not only an amazing interview of an amazing woman and all the things she's doing, but then I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a coaching session for myself because I Mm -hmm. found myself bringing up some stuff and, and kind of she was really able to, you know, just, I think so much of what we do in therapy, right. Which is like normalize and help people realize that what they're going through is not, you know, crazy and that um, there's wisdom in it and there's lessons to be learned and and all the things that we help guide our clients in. I think that even just in this quick interview, Lauren was able to help me do. So being her able to do that with me, I can only imagine the work that she's able to do with other mothers. And so, you know, if you're listening to this episode, prepare that it'll be a little bit of me talking probably <laughs> more than Danae um, for reasons, obviously, that Danae just said. But uh, I think that she will give a lot of you guys some some good sage wisdom. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting, and I think you brought up in the interview is that, yes, this is about sort of transitional spaces mm-hmm. of becoming a mother. But I think, you know, similar to what you wrote about in your master's thesis, these are like these processes of initiation, right? And right. that is what motherhood ultimately is. And right. so I think whether or not your mother being in these moments of like deep transition. And it's not, I think to your point, it's like, if you're listening, you don't have to be a mother or, I mean, the idea is that any of these huge life experiences, right? We talk about like trauma with a capital T or a lowercase t. I mean, any of these huge life transitions where we have to kind of cross a threshold and step into a new version of ourselves. Mm. And there's a lot of pain that's required in a threshold crossing because there's a lot of integration that goes into it. So I think that um, motherhood is just one of those. And, and the wisdom, I think, pertains to all threshold crossings. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys, enjoy. I am so excited to welcome my incredible friend, Lauren Wiseman, who is, you know, someone who really supports and just holds space and has for so long for women in general, but women and their postpartum journey. Lauren, thank you so Mm. much for being here. Just so excited to have you on the podcast. Cheaper Than Therapy, the idea was that we wanted to give a look behind the scenes, behind the therapy doors of what goes on in therapeutic sessions, right? And I feel like although you aren't a therapist, I always have felt like you speak with such the voice of a therapist. I'm so honored and thank you for all of that. That was so meaningful to me. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love you dearly. So, you know, as we're recording this, we are in the midst of um social distancing because of COVID-19. And, you know, we've talked about a lot about how this moment is really similar to the experience that new parents have in sort of that fourth trimester, right? Where you are sort of Mm. in a cocoon and you are not leaving home and you're in um, this like sacred space with you and your loved ones. And um, I've, I've felt so much of like, this reminds me of right after I had a baby. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you are a mama of two beautiful twins. Um, So, and I I feel like, you know, for the last year, you've been a little bit in that space. And Vanessa, more recently, has embarked on that shift. So, 
I mean, what comes up for you as I say that? Oh, I'm just or for her. <laughs> Vanessa, you go first. <laughs> I want to hear your experience because you, you know, it's all combined for you. So mm-hmm. that to me is like having a whole other layer attached to this already really vulnerable time. I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear your perspective first. I was kind of already two or three weeks into my own version of quarantine before the quarantine started, right? So for an extrovert like me, it's actually a little challenging because I'm really stir crazy. Like it has helped me to kind of create that little bubble that is, I think, necessary in the beginning of having a newborn. And it's also helped me be really honest with myself that that beginning was really important and I'm somebody who needs stimulation. I'm somebody who needs social contact. I'm somebody who needs to, you know, be doing things like this or whatever it is. I know people who kind of went rogue and disappeared for like months. And I think that's beautiful and amazing, but it's also been really interesting to realize that that's not me. I mean, I knew beforehand, but now I really know (laughs) that that's just not, you know, how I am. But, but it's been, yeah. I mean, I think today spoke to it beautifully. I actually, I think I actually posted a meme yesterday about that specifically. Mm -hmm. Somebody posted a side by side of like new motherhood. And then it was like quarantine. And it was like every single thing on the left was the same on the right. And it was like, you know, I have no support. I feel really alone. Like all of these bullet points and they were identical. And so when you said that today, I was like, yeah, I literally just posted that. <laughs> mm, it feels yeah, that way. I'm, I was just speaking to a, a therapist who's, her specialty is postpartum work. And she said exactly the same, that this has been such an activating time for people who suffered from PPD and PPA, mm. that now it's really... Um, kind of ding into those wounds. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for me, I don't know what my intentions were initially around moving into a postpartum phase. I think the twin dynamic, having two kids, it's so much more overwhelming than I could have ever conceived of. So I tried not to have too many expectations, but I'll tell you that I feel like I've been in quarantine for a year and mm. we were slowly starting to emerge. And Danae knows we were planning on this birthday to honor them. And we're kind of superstitious. This is a little like Jewy of us, or or like a naming ceremony or anything for them. So this is kind of our, our moment to really celebrate them and that their birthday is so this all kind of evolved right before that. And I felt like we were going to spread our wings and then suddenly everything was clipped and now we're mm-hmm. back into that cocoon. So I, you know, I also feel unbelievably privileged and this is bringing so much um, to the forefront, right? Around what's actually important. Mm-hmm. And we're all healthy. We're here. We have enough food. We are going to be okay. I'm in a loving relationship. Like it's, all perspective. Um, mm. and, and I'm trying to bring that back all the time to a space of gratitude. But yeah, this is really intense to be to be forced in in this way. And the distancing, you know, even this, right? Like how fun would it be to be able to be in the same space, to be able to obviously reach out and hug one another and touch one another. But the conversation shifts mm-hmm. so much when you don't have the ability to be connective in that way, right? Like there are these devices in between us and it, it's, um, I think all of the interactions suffer. I think, I think a good word that just came up for me when you were talking about it is amplify. Like it, it feels like all of the, the experiences that we have as new mothers, all of those emotions, all of those desires, the, the wanting to cocoon and then the wanting to emerge, all of these feelings to me feel like they've been amplified by what's going on. So regardless of kind of like, in what space you are or what place along a journey you're at, I think wherever, I think it's been amplified. And, and I've, I've heard that kind of echoed, you know, even from, I have a couple of friends who are either just going into the hospital or have just left the hospital, like in the last week have had babies and just, yeah. I can't even fathom, right? Talk about privilege. I got out like a week before this all happened and just everything that they were experiencing and the amplification, right? the amplification of the nerves that we have going into childbirth and the anxiety and the, you know, anticipatory anxiety with the unknown. And then that is amplified by all of this stuff. Right. So amplification just really came to mind when we were talking about it. I have a that's client who's going in this week. Mm-hmm. Wow. Scary. Yeah. That, Horrible. that feels true. Husband Some... can't be there. 
I feel like that feels true of this time period. You know, you were talking about PPD, postpartum depression, PPA, postpartum anxiety. And I think that, I think in general, whatever we are experiencing emotionally, like it does feel amplified to me as Mm -hmm. I remember back that time, like post childbirth. Lauren, I'd love if you would talk a little bit about like, first of all, how you started doing this work and how you kind of became inspired to do this work at a pretty young age when you founded Mama Method, um, that you became inspired to work with mamas in this way and, and just like how, you know, your journey around that has shifted since becoming a mother. Mm, Yeah. So Mama Method was kind of in the works well before I actually named the business and started kind of teaching in that way exclusively. But I, I studied to be an actor in school um, in college and really moved um, to Los Angeles to pursue that after I had lived in New York. And I felt like the colors of me that were really amplified in that space were just not um, the ones I wanted to be shining. <laughs> It felt like I was really competitive with women and and not my happiest self. And I wanted desperately to be in a space of support. And so I, I was 24 when I moved here and I, I thought, what's the most supportive thing I could do? And I entered into a birth doula training. And that was really, I think, mostly, I would have never said this at the time, but I think that was really to heal that part of me. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had been teaching um, bar and uh, yoga. And in my classes, I was always really drunk to pregnant women and new moms. And so that was also a a part of this being drawn to uh, stepping into that birth doula training. But even during the process, I felt like "Mm, it might not be the actual birth that I'm the most interested in. I want to bring people through this whole journey. I think I've always had these two lenses of interest, motherhood and what that kind of means to women and how that shifts women and then movement. And so I did my birth doula training. I was still teaching all of these classes and then it kind of built from there. And I, I continued to kind of pepper in whatever new learning that I dive into, I think, then goes into my practice. And so I just feel really blessed to be able to offer a, a space and an ear and movement that serves that really complex time and transition. So can you tell us a little bit about that though? So for people who don't know, you know, yeah. what you do and, and kind of what your method is, can you give us a, like a idea of how, not only what is it, but how does it support them, I guess, in this journey? Absolutely. So practically it looks like it used to be me going into women's homes. <laughs> so now I'm doing virtual sessions, which again is is quite a shift. Yeah. Um, but I pull from all of the movement modalities that I'm kind of versed in. So yoga and bar and Pilates and dance and meditation. And, you know, I really try to craft the experience, not only to the individual, but to wherever they are on that given day. And um, I've taken many people through um, their pregnancy journey. I've also started with many clients postpartum, and that could be anywhere from, you know, right after they've been given the green light to, to move and exercise normally around six to eight postpartum. But also I've seen women for the first time eight months in, 10 months in, and they're still dealing with physical issues that have come up as a result of, you know, traumatic childbirth or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so anything along that kind of journey is, is included. And I feel like, Danae, I don't know if you, if you're with me on this one, but I think it takes, (laughs) I mean, you are forever changed physically by the experience as we should be when we enter into motherhood. But I feel like most of my clients, it's not until two years post where you feel like, okay, this is the new me. This is, this is a body I'm starting to feel a little more comfortable in. At least 100%. I know I have a lot of feeling. Yes. Right. 100%. I, I mean, like, 
But I don't yeah. think people say that. And I'm so glad you said that because I think our culture has done such a disservice to women, mm. bounce back ideas, like, you know, like right back to work, obviously, like that's a whole other conversation, maternity leave, oh my goodness, that type of thing. But yes, a solid two years, not even to your point before you start to feel like yourself again, because you don't, but before you start to have a sense of like, this is me in my body, in the world, in a way that makes sense to me. I feel like things feel so discombobulated and out of whack. And I do think it's, it's hormonally, it's physically, Mm -hmm. it's like things are getting back into place for a good solid two years. I think it was like my child's second birthday that I was like, huh, I'm starting to feel a little something that feels grounded in me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say I, that that I, actually makes me a little scared <laughs> slash sad to hear, but yeah. Well, it should also be comforting <laughs> because you have a, you have a long, um, beautiful road ahead of you that will continue to shift as you shift, right? And you'll do this with your daughter, mm-hmm. and it's there are different iterations along that pathway, right? Of like normalcy. And normalcy, mm, and right? Feeling Little better blips. and feeling, but be- yeah. But it's like any other process; it just it takes time. Well, and I think that for people who are listening to this, you know, I don't even think it has to be somebody who's actually gone through the birth process. I mean, I think that even before, I mean, obviously pregnancy before that, but even before I went through that experience, I feel like. I could have heard this conversation and thought about different physical transformations or even physical trauma that I have been through in my life and how what you just said made sense to me. So like these Mm. blips along the journey of healing and how you get these little insights into like, oh, that's the new me or, oh, I feel kind of normal. Oh, what does normal look like? Right. And so I can actually imagine that, you know, if you're listening, you don't have to turn this off if you're not a mother or mother to be like, this is actually really, I think, important it's pertinent to anybody who's gone through some kind of physical transformation and, and thus spiritual transformation as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you just hit on something that I think is so, so important that whatever spiritual transformation you are intending to go on or are not, or are just going through, I think that there's so much that correlates with that physically. And if you're having that physical journey, then there's so much that correlates with it emotionally and spiritually. So that is, I think, the biggest piece of what I try to offer to my women who I am privileged enough to get to be um, just a, a tiny part of their of their journey. There is no way, right? As we're moving, we are moving through something mm-hmm. always. So there's no way to to separate those parts. I think that's such a, a, a big thing to talk about. And one of the things I think, Lauren, to people who don't know, you know, like I said, don't know you, you were raised by therapists. You come from the therapy world. <laughs> you were birthed yeah. into the therapy world, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that you wrote, so we ask everybody, you know, to answer some questions beforehand. So we have a little background. And one of the things I copied out of there that I thought was really huge was you said, at some point in your life, on and off, you've been in some version of therapy, right? And then you said, I can rationalize and talk my way through a lot. So the most effective therapeutic modalities I have experienced are ones that ask me to tap deeper into what my body is holding. And so I think that this is actually a perfect segue into that topic because when you just said, when you're on this journey, it's all encompassing, right? And again, I'm not even just talking about motherhood here, people. Like, I can say this when I had a really bad accident a couple of years ago and I broke my jaw. This, it has to be all encompassing. And as talk therapists, which is what today and I do, remember, we also are yoga practitioners and teachers. I'm in a somatic training workshop right now, right? Like we're body oriented, even though we're doing talk therapy. And we went to a school that encompassed the spirit and the soul as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't know what you have to say about that, Lauren, but I, that just was something that I think struck me. In, in what I think it's huge. And I think it's also something that, well, we live in LA, so our slant might be particular. Sure, of course. <laughs> but, but even my mother, who uh, she's a clinical social worker, and she and her community are really getting much more into what's going on in the body and asking people to tap in and breath work. And I mean, I grew up in... <laughs> I just like joke about the 
because even their social gatherings were like a collective of therapists. Is, Sounds like which ours. <laughs> no, it's, it's such a blessing. It is. It's such a blessing. But I, I do think that we come into a vernacular that, mm-hmm. you know, I remember as a very small child being like, you're projecting. Like I, I had this like <laughs> language. Yeah, this is what our children are going to be like today. Uh-huh. I can just see it now. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, that, that it's, it's a particular upbringing. I actually, mm-hmm. I felt like as I was responding to one of those, one of the questions that you wrote, it, it occurred to me in a whole other way that I, I grew up in a house where my mother's practice was a separate entrance of the house. So I feel like to breathe the air of, mm. to be so steeped in the work Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, on some level of privilege, and then also I don't know a, a very particular experience. <laughs> I can yeah. only speak to how how it felt to me, which was you know normal. But yeah. um, but yeah, I I I think I am a harder a harder patient mm-hmm. as a result, and that I was very. I walked in with a critical ear every mm-hmm. single therapist that I saw and had, I think, a craving for a connection that on some level, right, probably was about mimicking my relationship with my mother mm-hmm. because she's right. not only my mother, but the archetype of therapist to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, there's a lot in there, but I, I think it was very hard for me to let anyone guide me toward deepening that connection in my body. So mm. I can stay up here all day long and talk it out. And if I had someone who had said to me, uh-uh, I'm putting my hand up. No one can see this. So I'll just say, <laughs> you know, Stop like, talking. Mm-hmm. exactly. Take a breath. Yep. Yeah. notice right like right. Whew, that would have really shifted yeah and I love this conversation experience. so much because I think that is true even of those who didn't grow up in a therapeutic household right there are so many ways that we can intellectualize our experience or sort of minimize our experience by saying but so many people have it worse than me or sort of this is how I'm going to intellectualize why this isn't a big deal or like why this is okay but the felt experience of it is so different. I feel like I say this constantly to clients mm-hmm. and you know, having this conversation with clients. Yes, I get that understanding it intellectually is one thing, but the feeling of it is something very different. And so how do we get in there? How do we crack that nut of what I'm, what I'm feeling about it underneath what I understand about it? And you just tapped in on something that is so challenging as a woman going through her pregnancy or postpartum mm-hmm. because feeling it means something so different. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this all the time. Your gut is off, mm-hmm. literally. And so to have a whole new middle is so dispositionally, it's just incredibly unsettling. So mm-hmm. you said that, and I think you brought your hand down, right, today to say like, mm-hmm to feel it is so different. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I used to have two people in there and I'm still like navigating my way back what into what that feeling is as a new human being, as a new mom. I think that's huge. The part that I was going to jump on was actually, I, I have actually said those words to two separate therapists in my life, like verbatim, I have said to them, I will easily and happily talk my way through a 50 minute session. I'm telling you right now, I know myself. I need you to stop me and say to me, okay, stop talking. What's going on? And I can promise you, I've seen three different therapists in my life and only one of them has actually done that. And she was the most transformative. So I think that it's hard for a lot of therapists to actually do that, right? Because I think therapists are humans too. And just like everybody else, we intellectualize things and are sometimes scared to go deeper, right? Or don't Mm. know how ourselves to go deeper. I think if you're not trained in the modalities that many of us, not many of us, like Danae and I, Pacifica, kind of a little bit more of this somatic-based or spiritual-based psychology, 
I don't think you know the language yourself. So that's kind of the first thing. Cause I was like laughing. I'm going, yes, I've said those words <laughs> to a therapist mm. myself. But and then what you, you, right? I mean, it didn't always work out, but I, I know myself. Um, and then to your point, I think, holy shit, when you just said that, this idea of like your gut is actually different. I've never thought about it that way until you just said that. And I just had this moment of holy shit, right? I'm six weeks postpartum right now. And I feel like I'm just, and this is like maybe a bold statement. I am just starting to be like, oh no, I know what she's telling me, or I know what I need to do in this moment. Like I know, right. And if mm -hmm. you can't, you can't see me obviously out there, but like, I'm going, I know like from my gut, what it is I need to do in this moment. The first few weeks, I felt like I didn't know shit. <laughs> right. And I was a hot mess, obviously hormones, all the things, whatever the crying, I think it was more, I think you just said it. It was more from this place of, I don't know my own gut anymore. Hmm. And that is so powerful. I've never thought about that until you said that. Yeah. Well, the fact that you're feeling anything, even remotely, I think you, did you just use the word normal at some point? I think you might have. <laughs> at six weeks is astonishing to me and amazing. And I'm so delighted to hear that. If well, you feel clear, like you can tap in a little, of course. Yeah, of but course. Also, <laughs> right? So, and I'm also a control freak. So it's very possible that me telling you right now it's six weeks, what's normal, quote unquote, might just be my head telling me what's normal. So I'll You're muscling your way back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Knowing me, yes, that's pretty much it. So I'll, I'll check back in in a year and let you know if that was actually normal. Perfect. But. Anyway. Well, or it's that thing we're talking about where this right. is, this it is dips. a part of a, a peak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And beautiful. We have to, when we're in those moments, we have to ride them and enjoy them. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, the experience, again, I'm only, I'm a year and almost a month in. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had, I have had those kind of crests of okay, we're here. And then the moment you feel like you've mastered anything, <laughs> it's going to change. <laughs> you know, she, it's, she's going to get you. You're like, oh, we got this rhythm down. And then it, it's different. Yeah. Um, and, just, and that's one of the lessons in all of it. But yeah. And in all of coming this. back. <laughs> yeah. I feel so struck so often as I hear you, like the words that you're using and the way that you're like with your hands, of course, like we're the only ones that can see Lauren, but the, <laughs> how much it feels similar to the conversations I'm having about this time. Right. Mm -hmm. And the multitude of emotions that are flowing through all of us in a day. Right. And that all of it is understandable because we are in such a space of destabilization. And I feel like that, you know, even as I hear Vanessa talking about it, like my gut, like I'm not even clear about like what my gut is telling me, that is what I feel like we are feeling on a collective level, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is true that I can feel grounded in right now? Maybe nothing, right? Like all of it feels mm -hmm. like up in the air and sort of uncertain. And I just feel like, yeah, maybe this is a sort of being birthed into something and we don't know what yet, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that perspective. And we know, we know that there will be change, right? We know that's mm -hmm. inevitable regardless, but especially in this process, I think for those of us who like control, going back to that one, <laughs> Vanessa, it's like, mm -hmm. and I think that's almost all of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I venture to say everyone, um, yes. at least to some extent, we like right. to at least know what's coming. And right. this is a moment in which whew, can't, can't have any concept of what this will yield. We know that there are things that are happening that are really terrifying mm. and it requires dissonance to just proceed normally, whatever that means mm. to us, right? Because we can't constantly be absorbing i've been talking about like media consumption a lot with dear mm. friends lately it's just it's a really delicate balance right now more so than ever and it always was for me i felt like oh how much time am i going to be on these you know on instagram and whatever it is that you do socially right that kind of like feeds that obsessive addictive 
thing for all of us. Mm. But now, especially, and it is really, really, really challenging. And being a parent in it is its own interesting challenge, right? To, to show up. Cairo is also, I mean, every phase, I think, again, has its own challenges. Mm-hmm. But stepping into a space where you are trying to hold so much joy Mm. and keep it light, at least in part, right? Not to to falsify, but to just be there and be with these little joy monsters and like try to... (laughs) I'm like, who's three-year-old are you talking about? (laughs) Monster first, joy second, not the other way around. There you go, there you go. No, that boy is all light. Well, Lauren, let me ask you. So if, if this is... I guess, how would you, okay, so knowing that a lot of people that are listening to this are going to resonate from the mother, the mamahood perspective, but also like we were saying, it really can resonate with anybody that's been through some kind of journey, right? Mm, How would you work with a client in what you do and how you show up? I think for me, I'm going back to what you were saying about your gut, right? Like not, not knowing what that is anymore and having it physically be rearranged, but again, even for somebody who hasn't been through this journey specifically, like getting them to a place where they can tap back in or maybe even for the first time tap in and hear what their gut has to you know, say to them. How, how do you think that you would do that? I, I'm curious for myself selfishly, but also I'm sure people would yeah. you know, want to know. A lot of it is yeah. about stillness. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is about breath. Mm-hmm. And then the movement has to be cherry picked, um, contingent upon again the person and the day and the energy. So I think for you know that guttural sensibility, whether it's having just gone through the transformation of pregnancy and childbirth and moving into your postpartum, you know, your sixth week, holy crap, or if it's Again, whatever else has gone on, like literally lying on your back, (laughs) bending your knees, taking your feet flat to the floor, getting super grounded, and then taking your very powerful hands and placing them on your belly and just listening. Mm. I mean, that would be step one. Mm -hmm. Just connecting. I think it's literally connecting. Literally connecting, connecting with the ground and then connecting with yourself. And um, I don't know, every time I did that after many, many months now, I don't think I do, Um, but I don't know. It depends on the day. Every time I would hold my belly and I had a C-section, I had Ruby, who was baby A, was breech. And there was a lot of loss in that whole birth process for me. I had really, as a birthulant, yeah, we could get into there. That's like Mm -hmm. a whole other, mm mm-hmm. And, but I think that's kind of the case for so, so, so many of us. Your birth is never what you expect it to be. And it's the most vulnerable and ultimately the most, um, you know, I, I, my vision around it was that it was going to be very empowering and it did not feel that way to me. So I struggled with that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time to bring it back, I, I touched my belly. I would just start hysterically crying. That was my gut that there was a lot of sadness there and that there was loss there. I think now tears aren't conjured, but I still feel like we have work to do here. This is off. This isn't totally, this isn't totally grounded. (laughs) So, and, and I, again, I'm a very small Today knows got a little body. <laughs> that was a lot of baby in there. And it's amazing <laughs> that I could make it to 38 weeks. Mm-hmm. Like that was a, a whole wild ride. But I know that I have a lot of work to do around continuing to process through what that whole thing was, continues to be um, in my body. And how do you hold space for yourself in that? Lauren, because I think that, again, this is one of those spaces where I can intellectually have an idea mm-hmm. of there is grief here and, you know, but how do you hold space for yourself in that multitude of what is still being held? 
all this time, you know, like mm-hmm. a year later, like I'm still like, I love that, that you speak to that, but how do you hold space for yourself yeah. in that way? That's so interesting. I'm struck by the fact that again, coming back to this, like, we're in a pandemic moment <laughs> because mm-hmm. what space, what space? Uh, no, we don't have any space. <laughs> we're all on top of each other. <laughs> we're all on top of each other. Word. We don't have any space. The space is so, this is what I'm doing today. Right. This is my mm-hmm. self-care. This is my moment, right? I'm taking Same. this. So mm-hmm. processing it. Yeah. Talking about it. Um, acknowledging it's, it's, presence is huge. Um, just the fact that they're, that it's still there, you know? Um, but then I think we, we have to just be really kind with ourselves about when we provide that space, what that space looks like. And it can be anything. (laughs) It can be just, again, just showing up. I love so much that you said, um, you know, like space and whatever it feels like. And I feel like both you and Vanessa said something in the context of this for me right now is a little bit of taking up space for myself. Because I do feel like, you know, you guys talked about like peaks and valleys of postpartum. The times I felt most grounded in a sense of self were when I was doing things like working or when I went Mm -hmm. to school and I was like away from the baby. And there would be this like, deep push and pull of it is really hard for me to leave my child. And yet there is such a deep, powerful exhale in being Mm -hmm. with something that feels like just me. And I needed it, you know? Mm -hmm. Shit, the other day we were recording a podcast and we did it either right before or right after I had a session. I was sitting in the closet for almost two hours, right? So I left, like I've been doing these in hour spurts, but for this day I did it two hours and it felt so good. And yet I got out of the closet and I was like, oh my God, I missed you. And I like picked mm. her up and I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> but it is to your point. Mm. It's like, it's such a weird, I don't know, just a multitude mixed bag of kind of emotions that I guess is really hard to explain if you haven't, you know, been in it, but I don't know. Yeah. And then I think Lauren, what you said about the holding space, I think how can our listeners take away this nugget and I think this idea of holding space is one that we talk about a lot, right? As therapists, people in the wellness world, we use this term holding space a lot. And I think the way that you described laying down, putting your feet on your floor and putting your hands on your belly, I think the way that you described just putting words to it, just verbalizing it. I think the way that you described sitting in the closet for an hour and doing a podcast, this is what we mean when we say give space, giving your soul that chance to connect to itself and giving yourself the chance to tap into that experience and allow it to show up in whatever way it's going to show up in that moment. At least for this conversation that we're talking about, I want to put words to what giving space is. And, I, and I'm saying that out loud too for myself because, you know, Danae came over before the whole pandemic happened, Danae came over and, and she asked me about my birth story. And I said, okay, you know, basically, do you want the abridged version or do you want like the full version? And Today is one of my dearest friends, so I gave her the full version, and there's still tears that come up, right, when I put words to it. I've written it down. I've only gotten halfway through, and I've stopped because I just don't want to go back to it right now, you know? And I think that every time we put words to something, or I put that pen to that paper, or I lay myself on the ground and I touch my belly, that is giving space to what that experience is, and it allows it every time in pieces by pieces by pieces to come together to make sense, um, not make sense intellectually, right? But like make sense at like a molecular level, if that sounds, I don't know if that sounds crazy, but I don't know that was a tangent, but I, I felt like this idea of giving space, like I wanted to maybe put some clarity, I suppose, around that idea. And I think that going back to those nuggets to just synthesize is really important. And I want to say that I think it took, I want to say somewhere around four or five months in, I started to write my birth story. I still have not finished writing my birth story. And if I were, I read part of it though recently around their birthday, it was very emotional. And um, we were just looking through all of the pictures of the year and all the videos. And I went back and read what I had written and my lens was really different. Mm. And I wasn't as, um, you know, the same thing with putting touch to my belly it wasn't as vulnerable it wasn't as um conjuring of tears though i think 
there still is value in, in finishing it at this point, you know, um, would look really different had I, had I finished it then, but same thing with life, with the journey, with the peaks, with the valleys, it's, I, I'm just giving you such a hug, Vanessa, because I know how raw and you are still, you are still so close. Mm. And I just want to acknowledge that it's really hard. And I don't know any of the specifics of what happened, but you're here. You're amazing. The fact that you're doing this and holding this space for you and talking about it and being able to, I mean, you look spectacular. So <laughs> I don't know how you're doing that. I didn't slip past um, the waist down, like, let's be clear. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, but, right. um, but Aren't we all forever now? Just, like nobody's ever wearing anything but sweatpants ever again. <laughs> no, no pants. No. That's, what, that's what's going to change after this whole no, pandemic. No exactly. Pants. No pants. Well, I, um, I want to acknowledge the work major. that you do, you know, Lauren, because I think that for somebody who Thank specifically you. works in this way with women and helps them tap into that is huge. And again, like from the talk therapy side, I think a lot can be done with, with um, postpartum work, right? And I think that's great. but right? There's only so far you can get. Um, I mean, I would say that with everything, right? Not just postpartum and, and the birth experience, but there's only so far you can get. And I think that you are able, what you're giving them is an ability to go so much deeper and process things at a different level. Um, mm. And it is a traumatic experience. You know, I saw that you spoke to that too. You use that words, trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, yeah. spiritual trauma, all the things, right? Um, and so yeah. I just, I commend you for, for finding this, this niche and offering this such needed work to people. Such needed. Thank it's you. amazing. When I think of you, Lauren, I think of movement. Like you're so, even as you speak, like you see movement in Lauren. She's a dancer. It's just like she embodies movement, but it's also, you know, there is something that is so healing about having permission and, and even um, a means to move through difficulty. I have found in this experience how much I know that I need to move every day. And that mm -hmm. if I, if I do, if I allow for it, the tears just start streaming, you know, and there's just so mm -hmm. much that I think we are all holding. And certainly in that experience of um, being postpartum to give mothers access to a way to move um, mm -hmm. and to be in that space of allowing breath to move through you. And, you know, when I think of holding space, it's, it's really allowing whatever mm -hmm. needs to come up and out to do just that. And that is the work that you do. And it's such a gift to mothers. I wish everyone had access to Lauren or oh Lauren because you know even the ability to talk to you and the way that you hold space is such a gift for women that means so much to me thank you yeah I feel well, very privileged to do it you know we joked a little bit about your upbringing Lauren but I'm curious to know so when you came out here at 24 and you wanted to kind of give back I, I I'm always curious because Zanae and I talk a lot about our journey and like becoming therapists and I'm always curious to know, like, what, what was this for you that all of a sudden it was like, no, because I said the word niche. It's like, no, this is my thing, right? This is the thing that I want to focus on. Because I think for all of us, we find that in different ways. And I'm curious to know if you, if you know, or if you're able to articulate what that was for you. I thought you were about to tell her that I said, eventually, Lauren, and I do feel like you are a therapist, you know, in yeah. the way that you work with women, but I was like, oh, Lauren is a therapist. <laughs> I, I thought you were about to call me out. She'll cross over to the dark side eventually. <laughs> oh, I'm, we will have her. <laughs> I, I feel like, it, it, so it, I feel like I, I grew up in this very, um, very intellectual family, a very academically centered community. And I would love to get a formal degree <laughs> and join the ranks <laughs> um, at some point. And, and we'll see if that, if that continues to, you know, it's come up many times before. But my it. most recent workshop, <laughs> of course, of course, my most re recent workshop was at Pacifica. I, I did a weekend with the United States Association of Body Psychotherapy, which is fascinating. Mm. I love the work they do. And, you know, a lot of somatic experiencing stuff. And there were massage workshops and all sorts of Alexander technique, things that I had kind of studied in theater school and then 
having them through this, you know, therapeutic lens was lovely. But um, yes, I think I am honored to be <laughs> to be called one of today. <laughs> Someday right, we'll see. We will see. But yes, I I don't know the niche. You know, the the steps don't necessarily make sense while you're going through them, right? But right. then you look back and I go, oh my gosh, in college I was so I took feminism and fertility and I asked my mother one million times about my her birth story with me and which was by the way unmedicated and vaginal and she like walked it out and so of course that was a narrative that i held and something that i was really again steeped steeped in and felt like needed to be something that i also experienced but at 24 that was one of those really divisive kind of like make a left turn moments and mm -hmm. even in the birth doula training i i knew Debbie Lavin was her name, the woman who ran the training. And she said something about, and you know, you can't really hold that experience. You got to, you know, go home and shower and get it off of you. And that's not your birth. And so you move on. And there was this sense of removal that I went like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to do that. Like this birth mm -hmm. doula thing is probably not for me. <laughs> but again, like charting this whole journey with someone sounds so remarkable and mm -hmm. like something that syncs up with this movement work that I've always been drawn to and always been doing. And so it just, it just kind of came. Do you think that having the background and the experience that you have now, like how did that affect your personal birth? I mean, I know that like we kind of touched mm -hmm. on, it wasn't the way that you thought it was going to be and all the things, but you know, yeah. I guess going into my own birth experience and having the many, many years of meditation and mindfulness work and yogic work and practices and all these things, I thought I was going to be much more grounded than when push came to shove, I ended up being. All that to say, I actually, I was pretty fucking grounded considering it was a five, six day ordeal, but <laughs> I will mm. give myself that credit. But I think when push came to shove and I was on the table, right, for this kind of emergency C-section that ended up needing to happen, it was like I was having an out-of-body experience and all of the things that my teachers have told me over the years and trying to be in my body and breathing, it was like I lost a lot of it. And I'm, I'm curious to know for you if you were able to or what it was like for you with the knowledge you have in your birth experience. So I went in to the first appointment, my first ultrasound, um, and with Valentina today, mm -hmm. today's OB same. and dear friend. Shout oh, out to Valentina. Oh, we all have this connection. We all had the same OB. <laughs> the, well, well, so I felt like I had spent years deciding that this was going to be the way I was going to go with Valentina. Mm -hmm. And the first appointment happens and there are two sacks and there are two heartbeats and we are having twins and she goes, and I am not going to be your doctor. <laughs> so immediately I was catapulted into a high-risk pregnancy and needed an MFN, maternal fetal medicine. And so everything that kind of happens at some point in your parenting journey around realizing that you are not in control, we'll go back mm -hmm. to that piece of control that we talked mm -hmm. about initially, right? That happened for me, appointment one. Mm -hmm. And it felt like the most also on some level, right, on brand thing I could have ever fucking done to have <laughs> twins after being on this journey with so many people and feeling whatever preparedness. Of course, you're not prepared. I felt like I had been entering into homes of women going through this process for so long that inevitably there would be this big wrench in my, in my plan. I'm putting up quotes for that. So as the journey progressed, I, I think it was like mm, 28 weeks and then 32, we're noticing that, that Ruby was again baby A, which means that she was on the bottom and she was breached the entire time. And I felt very connected to my doctor at that point. And they will let you go for a vaginal delivery. You still have to be in the OR, mm -hmm. but they will let you go for a vaginal delivery if baby A is head down. Mm -hmm. So even if Solomon had been transverse or breach, 
it could have been fine. They would have rotated him if Ruby had been head down. So I spent so many weeks just mm. praying that she would flip and, you know, ultimately give me and us the experience that I had envisioned. Despite the fact that even at that point, like I, I felt like I should be out in a field by myself having my one baby. I just had this vision mm. <laughs> of nobody <laughs> messing with my process, being in a bathtub somewhere. And so it became more and more and more and more and more and more medical and more and more sterile to me. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of grieving, but I, I had an elective C-section mm -hmm. because my, my daughter would not turn. And it, it turned out that I had a very large vein, like very, very large when they opened up my uterus that she was sitting on. So if, her head had been down and she had been pushing into that vein, I would have hemorrhaged. There is no question. Mm -hmm. And they did not know that my placentas had merged. So I had one ginormous placenta wow. in the shape of wings, which is just wild, um, which could have also caused complications. So I think what, and my husband has been unbelievable in helping me to really reframe a lot of this um, because for so long I felt like this was an experience that was really stripped from me. I didn't get to have the thing I had envisioned. And that um, has really allowed us to reframe in the context of Ruby kind of protecting us. Yeah. And being our, you know, little angel and knowing that this is the way that she needed to enter the world, that her brother needed to enter the world, that I needed to enter into motherhood. And I, I wanted a lot of different things to happen in that birth. I had two different doulas who were a huge part of making this energy that I felt like I could, again, control at least in the room. And it was not the experience I expected on that day at all. And it felt, again, very sterile, very clinical. I wanted them to bring the drape down so I could see them both be born. I wanted to you know, delayed cord clamping. And there are all these like gentle cesarean births that I had seen videos of. And I was like, can we, you know, whatever. I could go on forever about the things that I had had envisioned that didn't happen. But here we are. And I think now, again, like when I initially started writing that story at four or five months, still steeped in anger about it and sadness. And now I'm, I'm coming around a little more to Matt's story <laughs> and to just gratitude that we healed so well and that they're great and amazing little, little baby angels. They're <laughs> hilarious. They're such goofballs, but they, they, you know, we're all, we're all okay. Mm. It needed to be our story, right? At least that's what right. I believe that, that this is, for all the reasons, and, and for you, Vanessa, I don't know enough about what the, the plans were beforehand, but this is the way it had to be. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as I hear you say that, Lauren, you know, holding space, I think also can be held as, as um, giving time for the way that this needs to be held, you know? Um, like mm -hmm. there is a time for grieving what we had wanted it to be and then a space where we are able to make meaning, but we can't rush there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a time for anger, right? Even like yes. you said about being angry for it. And I think so many of us uh, in the grieving process, which Danae and I have spoken about even on this podcast before, which is not a linear process, right? I think so many of us don't allow anger to be a part of the grief process. Mm -hmm. And you cannot have grief without anger. It is so much a part. It's as much a part of the grieving process as tears are, as longing, as aching, as sadness, right? Anger has to be included. It has to be accounted for. It has to be given that space. And I, I just say that because I, I'm thinking about how many clients I've had that have been upset with themselves for being angry during their grief. And I think for me, probably because I am so early into this and so anger is still very prevalent for me right now, that was something that I think I, I just kind of, I jumped onto when you said it, right? And so when you said that today, it reminded me like, yes, and we have to give ourselves the space and the time 
to feel all the feelings <laughs> and we can't rush it. it it's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to move through us in the way and the time that it's going to, and it's going to be different for all of us. Yeah. And that even having these conversations, I think in the context of the experience of birth is important because mm-hmm. there is so much joy, right? And I think so often joy is the emotion that is allowed, you know, society mm. like, yes, you happiness, bring it on. Like all of the the sadness, the grief, the anger, the frustration, like, ooh, like, could you could you put that somewhere where I don't Especially have to Especially as a mother. Oof. Oh my gosh. And this is what I am overwhelmed by. So what do right. I do with that when this is the truth of how I'm feeling right, right. now? Mm. I think that might be, out of everything we've talked about and out of the work that you do, Lauren, I mean, I imagine that something that's coming up for me that would be really powerful is just that. It's allowing like, this is my experience individually, each woman being different and you helping them simply, not simply like what you do is simple, but just simply make space for whatever it is that their personal experience is and is going to be and doing that in a way that is not just intellectual. Yeah. And, and let me say, I think I have never been through this process with someone who has had a vision for the way it was going to go and that has been executed. Mm -hmm. Maybe components of it, but it will always be different than what you think it will be or what you hoped it would be. And that is, again, talk about necessary entries into motherhood. (laughs) you don't get to control this (laughs) it is not um it's not gonna be whatever that that rosy lens is or maybe it it isn't even so rosy but it it will not be what what you think it will be right like Mm -hmm. if if i am being initiated into this new phase Phase. of my life Mm -hmm. i've never been here before i don't know yeah well and let me know initiation you don't get to step over that threshold until you've had the metaphorical death and the darkness and then the rebirth. Mm-hmm. You don't get to skip mm-hmm. over that part of the process in order to be initiated. You have to go through that. There is darkness, <laughs> period, hard stop. Sorry, guys, you don't get to skip over it. <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter even if you had the most wonderful, beautiful birth, there's still going to be that death and darkness and rebirth. Mm. So. I know you have to get back to Ruby and Solomon, but we have a couple of questions mm. that we like to ask our guests if we could ask you before you go. Yeah. Um, so the first one, what breaks your heart? Mm. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking of like so many things at once. Um, any suffering that I do not see a way to help out with that was not articulated so beautifully, but I think, or maybe that was a bit too global, but being in the presence of someone who is suffering and not being able to help, whether because they don't let me in enough to, or because I can't find my way into that space of help. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your flow state? The thing that you do and you can just get lost in it. You could do it all day, every day, given the opportunity. What is flow for you? I think laughter's pretty good. I feel like I have that a lot of laughter in your presence. <laughs> yeah. <Love that> laughter. <laughs> laughter's good. If we could do that all day, every day, that would be such good flow. Great. Yes. And it's interesting what in, is initiated physically when you laugh as well, right? Such, mm-hmm. such abandon, such release. Mm. Love that. It's yummy. It's yummy. Feels flowy. Yes. What would you say is your most consistent mantra? or self-reminder that you give yourself? Right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Just trying to stay very right here, yeah. right now. Yes. All right, last question. What is your favorite food? Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, oh my gosh, anything without Clorox all over it. Um, <laughs> no. You know what I... You know what I'm so real. It's so real. I'll I have to do two oh maybe three. three. (laughs) My girl. We have a lot of healthy eaters on the show. (laughs) Yikes, yikes. Seriously, this is not well, sushi is Mm -hmm. just 
love it, love it, and haven't had it in far too long. Um, so that's one. Pizza is just like mm, my comfort. My husband's a New Yorker, so we get very specific about where we have to order from. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> I know, little pump it. Yep. Um, and then I'm these days a good Hagen Dazs ice cream is just taking me a Throwback. long way. Just <laughs> yep, yep. Any, you know, sometimes we just have to dive into the comfort. It doesn't always make me feel so comfortable later, but <laughs> in the journey of it, <laughs> that's right. I'm into the hogness. That's Love right. It. Well, Lauren, um, well, I'm just, I'm so grateful for you, for who you are, the way that you show up in service for so many people. And just, I'm grateful for your friendship. You can find Lauren on Instagram at Mama Method. Um, she's just amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I love Thank you. Such a pleasure. So much for having me. Love, love, love. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.